So Daniel chapter 5, and we're going to finish up this lesson today looking at uh, Belshazzar, the uh, king here of Babylon, the final chapter that has to do with Babylon's rule and the empire, and uh, then there's going to be a transition over to the Persian and Mede empire taking over, and uh, so that'll be good to get into that. A lot of stuff in Daniel that we got to look forward to getting into here. So we looked already at the frailty of the throne. Uh, we looked at some at the king, some of that history there that took place, how that Nebuchadnezzar had already reigned for 44 years, and uh, he put his son in in uh, in the throne there. He only he only ruled for I think two years, and uh, but we know through that two years that he was being very kind to the Jews. He set up Jehoiakim back up on a throne in, in Babylon, which I think probably caused issues with the people of Babylon. Uh, some of those people that didn't like the Jews, perhaps. And uh, so he only lasted two years. So you want to be kind, it does cost you, amen? But anyways, then of course, uh, Nabonidus' uh, son-in-law to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the father of Belshazzar, usurped a throne in 555 B.C., and he was more interested in the commerce of the kingdom, so he was over in Arabia, and Belshazzar was in Babylon taking care of the political aspects, but he was very poor at doing that as well. He was mostly a party boy, you know, and so he was more interested in getting drunk than actually taking care of the kingdom, and that was his downfall. Then we knew the, the siege came, uh, the Persian uh, Empire came and sieged uh, Babylon, which was uh, prophesied by the Lord, and they were just so proud. They said, nobody can take us down. We're in control. We're, we're going to make it through this. And, of course, uh, they were wrong. Amen. Uh, God's prophecies always come to pass. His principles are always true. You will, you will never break a law of God, but you will break yourself against the law of God. Uh, you will always fail when you try to defeat the Lord. Amen. Even Nebuchadnezzar got to that. Remember how he said that no man can stay the hand of God? You just, you, I'm sorry, you just need to submit. <laughs> you just cannot beat them. And so that's important. And then uh, we looked at the feast and the vessels and um, how those vessels are very important. They're a type of, uh, uh, of, of the believer and how that we are to keep our lives sanctified. We looked last week how there's vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor. I sure hope that you've made a decision in your life to be a vessel of honor unto the Lord in the house of God. That is every man's choice. Uh, nobody's, nobody's cursed you to be what you are. You can be whatever God wants you to be. We learned about that Sunday night, amen? By the grace of God, you can be a vessel of honor. And that's my desire. I hope that's your desire as well. Be careful. The Bible says you've got to purge yourself from those that aren't vessels of honor. Those that are dishonorable, you need to remove yourself from them. Otherwise, you will become a vessel of dishonor, amen? That's separation. Separation is not popular. Separation is necessary. Separation is necessary for the church to be strong. Amen. The fingers of God. Daniel chapter 5. Verse number 5, it says this. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote... Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. I don't know, folks. I get myself a, a mind picture here that <laughs> I just have to start laughing at this king. The king cried aloud 
to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. That's because he was a second, amen? Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. They couldn't even read the writing. Never mind the interpretation. Then was the king Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Letter A, God wrote a message on the wall immediately after the vessels of God were defiled. My goodness. You know, it reminds me of the Antichrist. You know what happened in the, in the, in, in the tribulation? What's going to happen there? That Antichrist is going to get so bold, so proud, he's going to set up his image in the temple of God. Then he's going to tell everybody, you're going to worship that thing. You know what happened right after? I'm talking directly after that. God pours out the bold judgments. See, God don't let that last too long. You start messing with his temple. (laughs) By the way, the church is the temple of God. Ye are the temple of God. That's why the Bible says you, you defile the temple. It says that you, that you will be destroyed. That's New Testament doctrine. New Testament doctrine. You mess with the temple of God, you will be destroyed. First Corinthians chapter 6. It says here, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand. <laughs> that means right there, same hour, within that hour of time, God's finger was already writing upon that wall immediately. Letter B, God made sure the king could see it. It says, and wrote over against the candlestick. Now, you think God needed a candlestick? (laughs) God can write in the dark if he wants to write in the dark. But that's not why he wrote by the candlestick. He wrote by the candlestick so that the king could read it. That's important for us to understand. When the Lord writes something on the wall for you, it will be seen clearly, without a doubt. That means don't think for a second that his finger, when it comes down, starts writing on the wall for you, that you have to doubt that it's God's fingers. He's going to make it clear. That's God's hand. He's coming down. He's dealing with it. (laughs) He's dealing with the rebellion. He's dealing with the defilement. He's dealing with the wickedness. He's dealing with the sin. And God's coming down and he's going to deal with it. Let her see. It says this. God made sure the king saw the hand that wrote it. Notice what it said. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now, I don't know about you. It really didn't matter whether you could see the hand or see the fingers. I mean, God could have written on the wall and you wouldn't even have to see in the hand. But he came down, he wrote with his finger, and then he made it so that they could see the hand. Now, there's something very interesting about the hand of God. (laughs) The hand of God is the power of God. The hand of God belongs to God. And this day, his hand came down and wrote upon that wall. What an ominous thing that must have been. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 24, it says this, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. 
He's not only going to make sure you see that he's writing it, he's going to make sure you see his hand. It's his hand. Amen. I've talked to people that have been judged by God. Chastisement upon their life for rebellion and sin. And you know what? They had no doubt whatsoever. They said that was the hand of God. The hand of God. Don't you be messing with the temple of God. Which temple ye are, Christ says. Amen. I take this thing very seriously. In fact, I think I take this a lot more seriously than most people in the church. Maybe not all, (laughs) you know, but most. And I try to explain things to people. I try to tell them about the importance of what God is doing here. And this is supernatural. And what he does when bringing people in here, it's not just for you and your manipulation, for you to use people for what you think. When he brings someone through that door, he's saying, these are people that I want you to help. These are people that are supposed to grow. These are people that are supposed to be blessed. And I'll tell you something, you start messing with these people and start doing your own garbage with them, you are messing with the temple of God. We've got to be a right example in everything. Everything. Very careful. It's the hand of God wrote it. Number three, the fear of the king. Verse number six, it says, In the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. I I don't quite identify with this. (laughs) Maybe the knee thing a little bit. I think maybe there's been a time where I felt my knees were weak. The loin thing, I I just don't understand it. (laughs) Letter A, He changed attitude. Boy, this boisterous king that was using the vessels of God to do his bidding and say, hey, nobody's taking me down. I'll tell you, when his finger comes down and writes on your wall, your attitude's going to change. That's what the Bible says right there. His countenance changed. In Psalm 10, verse 4, it says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. So you can tell on the countenance of a person whether they're actually submitted to the Lord or not. Their countenance, the way they look in their face. Amen. From being smug, overconfident, proud, to having his face looked overwhelmed with fear. God changed his countenance. It describes a pale or fresh-looking complexion of a person's face under terrifying circumstances. Everything's normal. All of a sudden something happens and also you see the look of terror and fear on the face of that person. That's what happened to Belshazzar that day. When the finger of God wrote and the hand of God was revealed. Letter B, he was agitated. That means his thoughts troubled him. We see an example of that in Genesis 41, verse 8. It says, And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told him his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. See, Pharaoh went through that as well. He was troubled. He was agitated. That's what the word troubled means, is he was agitated. His spirit was, was not at rest. Amen. You ever been there? Of course you have. Every one of us have. Letter C, he was anxious. Now I say that because what we see here are two evidences of anxiety. The joints of his loins were loosed. His knees to smote one against another. 
I was reading up on this. I wanted to understand this medically, what happened to Belshazzar. I don't know if you've ever done that. After a rush of adrenaline, the body slowly comes down from the peak hormone rush. The body was flooded with energy in case of, of emergency. So that's what happens when there's something that happens that, that takes you off guard. Your hormones rush into your body to prepare you for the emergency. But post-rush, after the rush, there's a drop in blood sugar. And that's what caused his hands to shake and your legs to feel weak. <coughs> so we can tell what kind of situation he was facing here. When he saw that finger on the wall, it was like emergency mode. And his body was filled with hormones. And then, in the peak of it, it dropped. And his blood sugar, and also his knees started to smite together. I could just see him there just knocking. <laughs> Amen. People say that when they go up in front of people, oh, my knees were knocking. <laughs> it was hard to find information on knock knees, because all they gave you is uh, examples of the problem that people, some people have knock knees. Amen. <laughs> But he was anxious. So it's a sign of anxiety. Letter D, he acted desperate. Notice what happened here, verse 7. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers. So number one, he cried aloud. Cried aloud. Not just cried, but he screamed. (laughs) Amen. So think about this. Emergency rush. All drops down, knees knocking, loins are loose, and then he starts screaming. My goodness. Cried aloud to bring in the astrologers. Astrologers! God, come on! <laughs> Just freaking out. I probably didn't do it justice. Number two, he offered a lot. He offered a lot. So this is what happens. He got desperate. So what do you do? You cry aloud. And you start making promises that you probably can't keep to get things figured out. He says, whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet, have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. I mean, I'll tell you something. If I'm a king and I've got a position of rulership, it's going to take a lot for me just to give up the next position of rulership in that kingdom. This thing had such an impact. This was so supernatural. This was so terrifying that he was willing to give the next rulership of the kingdom to the person that could read what God wrote. He offered a lot. That was desperation. He thought his bribing could make it happen. Well, let's move on to our next section here. Let's look at the forsaken testimony. So what happens here, verse number 8. It says, Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changing him, and the lords were astonished. Now the, now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. 
There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods and in the days of thy father light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding and interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, now let Daniel be called and he will show you the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spake unto Daniel, Art thou Daniel, <coughs> which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? Have even, ha, I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of God is in thee, and that light and the understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have brought in before me and they, uh, that they should read this writing, and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing, and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. Well, we know he wasn't a greedy man, amen? And so letter A, Daniel (laughs) reintroduced to the king by queen mother. Queen mother. So this queen was actually the mother involved here in Belshazzar's life. And it's interesting because everybody had forgotten about Daniel. But the queen remembered Daniel's now 82 years old. He's nearing the end of his ministry. He had greatly impacted Babylon for God's glory. Though all this good had been done, it's amazing how sin and lust of the flesh causes us to forget the good and who God used for his glory. I'll tell you every time you give yourself to sin, you're going to forget the good people in your life. You'll be surprised (laughs) who you'll forget. Oh, that sin will steal everything from you. Amen. Don't let it happen. Now, letter B, Daniel refused the king's reward because of past prophecy. Now, there could have been a couple of reasons why he refused the reward. Now, the first time, first chapter, he didn't. He allowed the king to give him what the king wanted to give him. But Belshazzar, he didn't want Belshazzar's reward. <laughs> I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet, have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king. See, Daniel knew it was over for Babylon. There was no more value in the king's promises. See, he'd been reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah told him that 70 years were going to pass, and he knew that he was right at the end of that. So any promises that Belshazzar was making here, he knew they were empty. He said, there's nothing you can do to reward me with what you got, because you've got nothing. That's how bad it has gotten. (laughs) 
But isn't it amazing how Belshazzar thought he had everything? He had the world by the tail. He had everything all figured out. But he didn't realize, Daniel did. He looked at him and said, you got nothing, man. You are done. God help me to ever be in the situation in my life where I've got nothing and I think I've got something. Where I don't realize how far I've fallen and I'm trying to hold on to an idea that I no longer am <laughs> or that I no longer have. That's why we've got to stand before God all the time. We've got to pray constantly and say, Lord, reveal to me my heart. See, the only good thing you have is what God puts inside of you. <laughs> Your walk with God is everything. Someone told me today as they were, they said, I've been reading the word of God and, and spending some time with the Lord this week. And he said, it's just surprising how invigorated I feel. I said, that's because you've drawn near to God. Your spirit becomes energized. Your life becomes real. You're, you, you get stuff that you never thought you'd get. You feel ways you never thought you'd feel when you get close to God. But you can have an idea of what you are supposed to be as a Christian, and you can be totally away from God. Thinking that I'm still blessed of God, thinking that somehow I still have something in my life, but really I haven't been walking with God. God's not anywhere near to me. And when I start evaluating the actions of my life, I begin to see that I'm not so close to the Lord. <laughs> Amen. He knew it was over. Belshazzar didn't. He probably thought he was going to be the greatest king in the world. <laughs> you know, and not realizing you're done, man. You are done. It's over. Your life is over. My goodness, what an ominous thing to think about as a child of God. Letter C, Daniel reminded the king of past pride. Verse 18, it says, O thou king, thou most high, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, or the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would slew and whom he kept alive and whom he would set up and whom he would put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. But hast thou lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. Thou hast praised the gods of silver and the gold and brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not nor hear nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Yeah. You yeah. talk about a preacher. This man was in his face. You talk about pointing out. You talk about pulpit whipping. That's what happened in this day. And he said, this is what you've done. You've done this. My goodness. You've forgotten. No, not forgotten. In fact, he said, though thou knewest all this. No, he didn't forget the testimony. He forsook the testimony. You understand that? There's a different difference between forgetting and forsaking. 
And that's what happened here. The king was accountable to what he knew from the past. The lessons of the past should affect our present decisions. He should have known that God was sovereign and would judge him for his insolence and pride in using the vessels for selfish purposes. Amen. Folks, don't forget the past. Sometimes the devil gets you so messed up in the present that you forget everything that God's taught you. In fact, he even tells you that, that which you have, he says, I'll take it away. The knowledge that you've learned, the study that you've put in, the principles that you've applied to your life, when you allow sin in your life, all those principles seem to just fade away. You don't even know why you're doing what you're doing anymore. But folks, it's not because you forgot. It's because you forsake the Lord. Let's not do that. Folks, we need to look back at our life and no matter how hard it was, what you've gone through, I've gone through hard things in my life and what I do is I look at it and say, Lord, what can I learn from this? <laughs> whether it was good, whether it was because you're bad, whether it was because it was uh, whatever, you, you learn from it. You learn from it if, you're, you, if you deserved it. You learn from it if you didn't deserve it. You just learn from it. <laughs> but you don't forsake it. Because God, many times in the, in the testimony of your past and the situations that you've gone through are try, is trying to lead you into the present, to something he's preparing you for, even today. There may be something today that God has been trying to prepare you for, but if you forsake the testimony, you won't be ready. I believe we're on the, on the edge of God really blessing Energy Baptist Church. But we've got to deal with the sin. And the Lord's waiting. It's not fun. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. He's waiting. He's looking. He's just saying, come on, guys. I have got a door that on my hand is on that doorknob right as we speak. And I'm going to flip that thing open if you'll just get your hearts right. If you just repent yourself before me. Amen. What was the foreboding conclusion? Daniel reveals the meaning of the writing. This is what he does. He did what he said he was going to do. He didn't take a reward for it. Letter A, Babylon's prophecy is concluded. Notice in the first part of this prophecy in Daniel 5 verse 26, this is the interpretation of the thing. Many. It means God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. That means that everything that he is designed to do has now come to conclusion. His word has been fulfilled. He did not come too late, did not come too early. He is right on time. And if you just would have been listening, Belshazzar, you'd have been ready for him. But you weren't. Jeremiah 25, verse 11, it says this. I'll read you the prophecy. It says, This whole land shall be a desolation. And an astonishment that these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. It shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. That means ever since that day, Babylon has been desolate. It's amazing that in the tribulation time, they're trying to raise up Babylon again. Babylon is actually part of Iraq, in case you didn't know. When Saddam Hussein, when he was in power, he was actually rebuilding Babylon. 
he actually gone in there and he started housing projects and he started building Babylon all over again. Isn't it amazing how God stopped him? He says, because it's going to remain desolate. Not to say that there wasn't people there. Uh, in fact, I think even Peter wrote one of his epistles that he was in Babylon. He was actually preaching to people in Babylon, but it was still desolate. So God's prophecy comes true. Seventy years. Boy, Daniel expected it. He knew it was coming. Boy, that Belshazzar, if he would have believed that, do you think he would have taken those vessels that night and got drunk out of the vessels of God? Do you understand how important it is to understand that, that, that Christ's coming is always imminent? And that he could come at any point and find you where you're at? That's a doctrine. It's a, it's a New Testament doctrine for God's people to keep, our, keep us inclined to the truth and helping us to motivate ourselves to keep doing the right thing. Because he can come at any point and find you exactly where you are. That's why I look at the mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture position as an enemy to the church. Because if you believe in a mid-trib rapture, you don't believe in the imminent return of Christ. <laughs> But when Jesus began to preach about the temple, how that in three days I'll, I'll raise it back up. But then he was talking about how that the army would come and encompass the city and so forth. And he began to give these series of events. And from there he jumped over to tribulation. He said, then the moon shall be turned to blood. Then his final words of that sermon was, when these things begin to come to pass, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Which things? The destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. We believe that the return of Christ has been imminent since AD 70. When God judged Jerusalem and the Israelite people for their rejection of the Messiah. And since that time, people have been looking up for centuries. But now we got people saying, oh, don't bother looking up because the Antichrist is coming. Look down. Look for the Antichrist. No, sir. You're going to see Jesus before the Antichrist. Amen. You'll learn about who the Antichrist is from heaven. You'll look down and say, oh, that's that rascal. <laughs> and so, letter B, Belshazzar's poor quality exposed. Verse 27, it says, Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Leviticus 19.36 gives the heart of God in relation to sacrifices. Whenever God weighed something, it was always weighed right. He says, just balances, just weights, a just ephah, a just hin shall ye have. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. He never wanted them to weigh something unless it was a just weight. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, it says that a false weight or a false uh, balance is an abomination unto the Lord. So what he did is he weighed Belshazzar in his scales. He says, you're found wanting. You say you're all of this, but you're not lining up with the weight. Amen? That's why I'll tell you something. You can puff yourself up pretty good with your hot air. <laughs> Amen? But that thing about hot air, it doesn't weigh anything. <laughs> so you can make yourself look real big but you're not very heavy. That's a false balance. And so that's what Belshazzar was. False balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight 
is his delight. How balanced are you in your life? How balanced are you in your walk with God? How balanced are you in your view of the church and God's house and God's people and God's man and God's uh, purpose for your life? How balanced are you? Are you all at a walk here? (laughs) I'll tell you, when that finger comes down and starts writing on the wall, he's going to tell you what he weighed. And when he comes down on you and you see his hand over against the wall, he's going to mention your weight. That's a scary thing. Oh, I know. The Bible says every man's way is right in his own eyes. Well, I'm right. I'm right. That will be weighed. That will be weighed. And then you'll find whether you've been found wanting, lacking. Amen. Oh, don't worry what the majority says about you. Don't worry about, about how other people get behind you and say, yeah, you're right. You're right. Hey, I'll tell you something. They have nothing to do with your balance. Amen. You can have a thousand people beside you. That doesn't make you balanced. There's only one God, one scale. And he'll put you on his scale. And the Bible says he believes in a just weight. Exact. <laughs> Never a false weight. Amen. Wow, he looked at Belshazzar. He put him on his scale. His boy... You are really found lacking. Amen. What a scary thing to to learn. I'm sure his knees knocked again. Letter C. The Medes and Persians received the kingdom. It says, Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And that's why you see in Daniel chapter 5 verse 30. And that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldean slain. And Darius, the Median, took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. So this is a big transition from one empire to another. And God exacted that, that transition that day. And we're going to learn a lot more about that in the book of Daniel. Very exciting stuff. But folks, I think we can learn something from this. Letter D, Belshazzar's punishment is death. Oh, folks, be careful. Fear the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God. Lord, help you if you're not going to listen to this message tonight. Let's bow our heads.